to C3 Church Hepburn Heights. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoy this message today. My preach this morning is called The Faithful. And so we have heard Pastor Jace Hubby the last few weeks share around a central theme on a decade on purpose and we've bounced in and out of that locating scripture from John 10.10 that a real and satisfying and abundant life can only be found in Jesus. And Jesus teaches these principles through the scriptures that we see in John in a number of parables and analogies kind of put together end on end. And what we've been looking at as Jace has taken us through the past little while is this symbolism of Jesus as the good shepherd and we as the sheep. Sheep who are called to listen and follow. Sheep who know their master's voice. Sheep who are best in a flock. And sheep who need the pasture and protection and provision of their good shepherd in order to live their best sheepy lives, not sheepish lives. It's an entirely different matter. And these past few weeks have been a really rich and deep exploration of discipleship are calling us up and out to live purposefully, intentionally, proactively in this next decade. And living a decade on purpose, of course, begins with the choices and the holy habits that we form in our todays and our tomorrows. And so today I'm going to add a complementing thought to this discipleship discourse by looking at another well-known parable in Lookout, not John, but Matthew. Is that all right? I didn't ask your permission. Is that okay, babe? Our dear Matthew, Matthew, arguably the most Jewish of all the Gospels, and filled what is in fact with the most red letter. That is, it's actually filled with the most of Jesus' words of all Gospels. It's actually like a modern-day Jesus podcast, that if you were to listen to it on audio and listen to so much of that red letter, it's actually like you get a beautiful amount of Jesus' words, Jesus' actual teaching, Jesus' actual language, end on end. And today we're going to pick up in the latter chapters, we're actually going to bump into chapter 25. And here in these latter chapters of Matthew, we actually find Jesus away from the crowds, away from the hustle and bustle, away from people trying to grab his attention, away from the religious leaders and the Pharisees. And we see Matthew sitting, we see Jesus sitting down in the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And I like the thought here of Jesus and the disciples together. They're relaxed. Their sandals are off. They're passing around some unleavened bread, obviously some olives. And they're sharing. And Jesus is teaching. And he is speaking to his friends. He is speaking to this group of believers, this group of disciples in this conversational symbolic way that Jesus was known for. And it's quite a beautiful concept and quite a beautiful image. And at the start of chapter 24, 
in verse 3, the disciples ask as they're sitting there with their Jesus, their Lord and their King. They ask him this question. They say, what will be the sign of the coming of the age? What will be the sign, Lord, that you are returning to the world? And as we move through the subsequent verses, what we have here in chapter 25 is we have the parable of the ten virgins, which is quite a pertinent parable that highlights this whole when Jesus is coming back concept. And then just after that parable, which is where we're going to land today, we have the parable of the talents or the parable of the three servants, which we find in Matthew 25. And that's where we're going to pick up now. Let me read a good portion of scripture here about 16 verses, which is just following that other parable. Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. See, I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. See, I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a hush man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and and they will have an abundance. But for those who do nothing, even when they have little, that will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these words of truth and life. And symbolism, Lord, as you have taught, as you taught on that day of Mount of Olives, Lord, we receive these words again this morning. May there be anointing on what I say, that they will be deposits of revelation into people's hearts this morning, that you will be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Now remember here, 
this conversation, this teaching that Jesus is doing in relation to the disciples is they have just asked about the kingdom of heaven. They're wanting to know about the Lord's second coming. And the relevance and the link of the parable of the ten virgins kind of is quite obvious, I think, because it talks about them being ready. It talks about never knowing when the Lord may come, but you always need to have a posture and a disposition of being ready. But this is the parable that follows just after that, and it is actually asking, answering the same question. So how does that fit? What is Jesus actually referring to? What is he talking about here in relation to the kingdom of heaven? That scripture actually begins with, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated like this. Say what? How is this parable, Jesus, explaining what the kingdom of heaven actually is? See, because what Jesus is doing here is he's not just describing to the disciples that they must maintain a position, a posture of always being ready, of always being prepared. He's not just describing that. He's describing to the disciples and in in turn, of course, us, what we must do while we wait. This is a parable about our disposition of faithfulness, about what we do whilst we are waiting for the Lord's coming. It's not just about sitting on our hands and waiting and being ready kind of in spirit or in mind, but it's about taking on the responsibility of being faithful. That the middle bit, friends, we're all in the middle bit. We haven't got to the second coming, but we have all had, most of us here, a level of rebirth. We have had that spiritual awakening. So we're not here at spiritual awakening and we're not here at the second coming. We're in the middle. The middle and what we do in the middle must have a distinct sound of faithfulness. Well done, faithful one. That is our hallmark. That is what we are aiming for. That should be the desire and the leaning of our heart between here and here. We have a story, a landscape, a sound of faithfulness. And I did an internal lament earlier this week. I'm like, faithfulness, Lord. I've got to speak on faithfulness. It's a bit beige. Faithfulness doesn't have the flexibility or the creativity, or the whimsy. It's not really culturally relevant right now. Faithfulness isn't really culturally current, right? You only need to look at any major Netflix drama or rom-com to see that storylines, reality shows, love the appeal and lure of the unfaithful. I'm not just talking about faithfulness in relationships, but in our roles, our jobs, our friendships, that secular storylines embrace and love the story of the flippant, the feeling-driven, the go-with-the-flow, the the pleasure-orientated, the spontaneity, the happiness in the moment. These are anti-faithful landscapes. And so the Holy Spirit said, this is exactly why you need to preach on it. Because my church... My church, said the Holy Spirit, is built on the faithful and they cannot become a dying breed. Faithfulness is what must define us as we wait for his 
return. Faithful is who we are called to be. Here's the definition of faithful. Loyal and steadfast. Constant, trusted, full of faith in steady devotion. Loyal, steadfast, devoted, full of faith. Not full of intellect or great ideas. Not even full of leadership. Full of faith. This is who we are called to be. This is who we are to be in our waiting for his second coming. And Jesus uses the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, as I've just read, to emphasize this. See, this church, friends, has been built on the faithful. We are here because of the faithful. Looking at you guys who largely sit over this portion of the church. You build a generation and a swag of you boomers. We are here because of you. Your steadfastness, your endurance, your quiet strength, your risk-taking. We want to honour you and we want to salute you. We want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you for forging disciplines of personal devotion. Thank you for serving week in and week out without being asked. Thank you for riding the wave of change and transition. Thank you for still coming every Sunday through your 60s, your 70s and your 80s. Even when the music has been too loud, the carpet too bright, the aircon too cold and our jeans too skinny. We honour your loyalty, your steady devotion, your consistency, your full of faithfulness. Thank you, faithful ones. Thank you, faithful ones. Those of us not as far along, present company included, we bask in your shadow, we climb on your shoulders. We hold hands with your legacy. We follow you as tour guides in the discipleship landscape as we continue to make our way through. Thank you, golden faithful ones, here in our midst. It's also no happy accident that I speak on the faithful on the day we are ordaining Pastor Leanne and Barry Brown. Leanne and Barry Brown the faithful, the steadily devoted, the constant, the loyal, the roll up their sleeves, get on with it, get down to it, often unseen heroes of our church. This couple full of faith, week in and week out, deposit that faith into our children. They train them up in the ways of the Lord. They foster in our kids a love for the Bible. They show them how to make friends with the Holy Spirit. They carefully and courageously place building blocks in the hearts of our children every single week. And I, as a mum, as a parent, not just a pastor, I get to bask in the fruits of my children learning and growing in that. 
And I know many of us here do also. Well done, faithful ones. Barry and Leanne Brown. I'm going to come back to them. I should have brought up a tissue. Or maybe some toilet paper. (laughs) It has to be said. We have to say it at least a couple of times this morning. And whilst I highlight this generation and this couple, I know there are many, many, many more of you here today because you are actually here, that you are hallmarked by faithfulness. Gosh, we love you and we are so thankful for you. Right, so let's return to this parable to understand some of the principles a little bit more about how faithfulness works. And it's like we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into this word as I round this out about some of the delicious revelation that's peeking beneath the surface. So let's start with the first of these four brief principles. Faithfulness starts now. Matthew 25, verse 16. The man who received five bags went at once. At once. At once is an immediate description that denotes direct action. Both good servants felt the responsibility of their assignments and got down to the business of it straight away. Faithfulness can't begin later. There is an urgency to begin it now. Why? Because if we want to be hallmarked by faithfulness, we must start the process of it. We can't wish later in life we were more faithful if we have got to that point and we haven't displayed it prior. If you want a roast beef dinner like mine and it takes four hours to cook, at 2pm I must get that thing in the oven. I can't at 5.55 will it and wing it into being ready and go, we'll just do the best we can. I've only got five minutes and I really needed four hours. Faithfulness, friends, isn't an express lane, fast pace, skip the, skip the queue, skip over the adverts, 15 second attention span deal. It must begin at once for it to have the time to come to fulfilment. The good servants understood this principle straight away. So when they were given this money, not knowing when their master would return, they didn't wait, process, plan, pray, consider. They went at once. Faithfulness must begin at once. So friends, what is in your hand now, today, right now? What is the talent that you have been given? Now, obviously, this scripture here is referring to money. $1,200, no less, was the equivalent of one talent. So the servant who was given 10 was actually given $120,000 equivalent. That's a whole other story. But this is talking about what has God given you? What is the God-given gift that is in your hand right now? The ability to cook, a grace to look after children, savvy admin skills, a beautiful voice, being free Saturday afternoons, the skill to build, empty nest space. What is it? What is that God-given thing that is in your hand right now that you can begin with at once? What is the investment you can decide to do today, this week, tomorrow, to begin to create that posture 
of faithfulness. The second principle of faithfulness found in Matthew 25, 19. Faithfulness plays the long game. We see the scripture, after a long time, the master came back. This complements the point before. Time is the measure of faithfulness. One cannot be nearly or almost faithful. That is an oxymoron, right? Wearing tight slacks or jumbo shrimp, right? You can't be nearly faithful. The measure of faithfulness is longevity. Faithfulness has chapters and stories. It is a thread that runs through the narrative of our lives. It can only be measured after a long time. That is the beige ordinary business of it, the committedness of it. It is the reason why we must continue to celebrate and be thankful for those who have been living it for periods of time. For anyone who's been married any length of time, we get this. We know that the real measure of a relationship is written in the valley once the sparkle has gone The wrinkles have set in and the feelings are no longer butterfly-like. This is where the faithfulness in a relationship actually finds its true wings. Faithfulness in a marriage doesn't find its fruition in the first dates and the long glances and the slow dances and the warm summers. It finds its fruition in longevity. Jason and I have a new authority to be able to speak into marriages, particularly now that we've been married for 20 years. We've got some rungs on the board in order to describe relationship principles and strategies and landscapes. So Jesus asks us to play the long game of discipleship, to follow him, the good shepherd, through the mountains and the valleys, up the steep slopes, then rest a while in the soft green grass, fill your bellies and your lungs before he calls us to the next part and the next stage and the next chapter and the next challenge and the next and the next and the next and and all that is entailed in the glorious complex next decade that is before us. This is how faithfulness is built in the long game. The discipleship journey was never a call to ease or simplicity. We get that. But it was never at the same time a call to rapidness. Third principle we find here in this parable is that faithfulness is visible. Matthew 25, 20. The servant comes back and before his master says, See, I have gained five more. The servant has something to show for his faithfulness. There is a visible outward representation of what he has done and who he has become. Our faithfulness is seen. James says it like this in James 2, 14 and then down to 17. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? In two seventeen, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. We can't pretend to be faithful. The cracks will soon show. The crazy will soon stick out. 
Faithfulness is seen. It's seen in our action. It's seen in our commitment. It's seen by coming week in and week out on Sundays. It's seen by standing with us in prayer this coming week. Faithfulness is seen in those cooked meals, those kind cards, those outstretched hands, in our worn, torn Bible, in our worn out playlists, in our scribbled journals, in our featured podcasts. Faithfulness is visible. Not only to those in our midst, as I have just highlighted these beautiful groups of people today. We can see the faithfulness on you. It's not only visible to those around you, but it's acutely visible to our master, our good shepherd, our king and our Lord. Fourth point about faithfulness is it defines us. The master says, well done, Good and faithful servant. Now let's just pause here. Jesus could have used a whole heap of other adjectives to describe those servants. As he sat there on the grass with his disciples, talking about our posture and our disposition and our our forward thinking and our front-footedness as we wait for his second coming, he could have used a whole manner of other ways to describe the, the position of servanthood. These servants, you see, they were savvy and wise and clever and resourceful and successful and efficient. There was lots of other things that you could describe them as. But the one that Jesus highlights... The sort of character, the sort of disposition that he wants us to embody, that wants to be the signpost, the hallmark, the definition of our discipleship journey is faithfulness. That our heart would long to hear above all else when we come face to face with our Saviour is that he will catch our eyes and be able to look us square in the face and say, well done, faithful one. Well done, faithful servant. That, that needs to be the cry of our heart. That needs to be our posture and our disposition that he is looking for faithfulness. He is looking for that steady devotion. He is looking for that consistency. He is looking for that turning up and turning through again and again. Yes, he is looking for a great attitude. Yes, he is looking for leadership, but above all, he is looking for your faithfulness. And see, the counterfeit voice of the world, as we've heard Jason pack a couple of weeks back, that counterfeit voice has come in to say, no, 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 that's, that's not the measure of your life. The measure of your life, secular world, is not faithfulness, <laughs> beige, ordinary, flippant, uninteresting faithfulness. No, the measure of your life should be well done, successful one. Well done, happy one. Well done, productive one. Well done, family focused one. Well done, intelligent one, skinny one, popular one. And all manner of other counterfeit voices would try to come and redefine, would try to come and shimmy their way in to move the goalposts of Christianity. And that was never what we were designed to be. We are not craving to hear Jesus look in our face and say, Well done, successful one. 
We are not craving that he would say, well done, resilient one, although that that is a beautiful thing. He's, we're not craving that we, he would say, well done, joyful one. What should be the crave and the desire of our heart is that he would look us square in the face and say, well done, faithful one. That you stood the test of time. You turned up week in and week out. Barry and Leanne Brown, this is for you today. As we ordain you in a few moments, these are the words of the Lord stamped upon you both. Well done, faithful ones. Well done for going again. Well done for carrying on when it was grey, when it was dull, when it was a battleground and when it was a barren desert. Well done for staying the course for seeking his face, for holding tight to each other and modelling to our children and in turn teaching them faithfulness. You are defined by faithfulness. The Lord defines you by faithfulness and we so honour you for that. Right. So how does one become faithful? Well, having a conversation with the likes of the Browns or the older generation or for those that have simply been doing this or a little bit further along the faithfulness pathway would be a great starting point. It's great to see those that are a little bit further along and to ask them questions. How did you keep your steady devotion alive? How did you keep on going when you were over it? How did you not get lured by the new and the sparkling? What did you do in the middle? Good questions to ask. But then most importantly, in complementing that, is to be thankful for the Holy Spirit. Because faithfulness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit abiding and living in us. Galatians 5.22 The fruits of the Spirit a wonderful song that all our Life Kids kids have been taught at some point, point that I can still memorise. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace. Can we all do it? Patience. Okay, just me. Claire's with me. Claire was with me. <laughs> um, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I love how Paul here uses the symbol of fruit to enable us to see that faithfulness is deposited to us in seed form. As we come into relationship with Jesus, as we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, that faithfulness along with all those other fruits are deposited in us. But that as we commune and take a hold of the Holy Spirit and as we lean into Him, He shows us and models and guides and grows us in faithfulness because He is always faithful. Psalm 117 tells us that God's faithfulness endures forever. The Holy Spirit wants us to be faithful, wants us to overflow with that attribute. So for you, it may feel like it's in seed form. You may feel like it's a flourishing fruit. But I love this concept of that we are on this lifelong journey of these fruits growing and flourishing in us. And I regularly do an audit on my life, on myself and consider where those fruits of the Spirit are. How's my joy fruit growing? Am I more kind than I was last year? Am I more patient than when I was 12? 
25, 38, last week. How's my faithfulness fruit growing, Holy Spirit? Show me more. Teach me more. Give me more opportunities to learn that, to lean into you so that I can be faithful just as God is faithful. Keller, can't not have a bit of Keller, says it like this. The spirit-fueled development of Christ-like character is liberating because it brings us closer to being the people we were designed to be, the people our spirit-renewed hearts want to be. We were designed to be faithful, friends. We were designed to be faithful. And as we commune with the Holy Spirit, We can continue this journey wherever we are up to in the middle bit. We may have just started our faithfulness journey. We may be much further along. But faithfulness always begins now, plays the long game, is visible, and it defines us. That Jesus would look in our eyes when we meet him face to face at that second coming. And our heart would soar because he says, well done, faithful one. Stand with me, friends. Let me pray this morning. Lord, we want to be faithful. Let the fruit of faithfulness continue to grow in us, Lord, as we become more like you. We so desire to be more like you. Father God, that we won't be fickle and movable with every passing emotion. We won't be over it before we've even really begun. We won't be seeking the popular or the successful, the intelligent or the fleeting. But Lord, we will be steadfast and reliable just as you are are steadfast and reliable. Jesus, you are utterly faithful, divinely dependable, completely unconditional. May faithfulness be one of the greatest measures of this glorious discipleship journey. Holy Spirit, help us. Holy Spirit, guide us. Holy Spirit, show us how to be increasingly faithful, that our hearts will long to look you square in the eye, our Saviour and our King, and hear those words, well done, faithful one. Deposit that in our hearts. We receive it today. Take a hold of it. Are grateful for those words. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us here on our podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more about our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, go to c3hh.com.au.